Welcome to How Not to DM. I'm your host, Derek. Thanks for joining me on my quest to interview the very best dungeon masters on this plane of existence. Before we get started, I need to shout out my patrons. Thank you all so much. You help make the show possible. If you'd like to support the show, want a shout out on my next episode, or want an inside scoop on my upcoming guests, consider joining. You can find the link in my episode notes, my link tree, or by heading to patreon.com slash hn, the number 2, dm. Remember that 10% of my ad and patron money goes to support local LGBTQ plus youth via Encircle. Check out my link tree for more information. And now, on to this episode's guest announcement. Kat Kruger is the DM of D20 Dames, an all-ages D&D podcast handcrafted by witches. Kat is also well-known for her game design company, Steampunk Unicorn Studio, and has written or contributed to numerous 5e supplements. Kat also designed all seven adventures for the D&D Nerds collaboration. Kat and I talked about how she got into D&D, how her career as a young adult author prepared her for writing and designing PTRPGs, and much more. Enjoy! All right. Well, um, well, I'm Kat Kruger. I'm the dungeon master at D20 Dames. During the day, uh, my professional day job is uh, is a freelance game designer, and I have my own company called Steampunk Unicorn Studio. Wow, gosh, it's been I think 15 years of freelance work. It hasn't all been in game design. That's a fairly recent career shift, I guess. Yeah. Um, Previously, I was a young adult writer, and I did a lot of media and corporate and other sorts of freelance writing. And it wasn't until I moved to the West Coast in the US that I sort of shifted gears and went into freelance game design. Yeah, I I guess you'll have to tell us, did you become a wizard of the coast then? Was there some (laughs) secret ceremony or something? No. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so yeah. we'll dig into your your writing and your shift to game design in a little bit because I think that's a really interesting thing I want to explore. Yeah, how did you get into tabletop role playing games? And I've heard this story, so I'm really excited <laughs> to hear it again from you. But yeah, for the <laughs> listeners out there, it basically began with a meet cute. Um, so I was a guest at Halcon, which is a science fiction, fantasy, geeky convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, where mm-hmm. I was living. And I was a guest as a young adult author. As part of that, there's this little soiree that the you know quote unquote celebrities are invited to to mingle with some of the guests. And my personal assistant that was assigned to me was also assigned to a wizard of the coast. Uh-huh. His name is Chris Tulak, and we chatted and talked about Dungeons and Dragons. And at that point, I had never played, but obviously knew about Dungeons and Dragons because it's it's so in the forefront of pop culture. I'd seen it on, you know, community and freaks and geeks mm-hmm. and thought it was really fun, but never played it because I just didn't have a group of people who I thought knew how to play it or could teach me. But his job is actually at the time was to teach people how to play and that's why he was at the convention. So the next day set up a tutorial, played, loved it. And, you know, after I left there, I got a starter set, DM'd for the first time, because like I said, I knew nobody that yeah. played D&D. So I took it upon myself to DM my first home game with family. Um, and 
from there, I really loved like the role playing element. So I, from there, I started teaching at a creative learning school for use and used D&D as a, a tool for that. So it was uh, creative writing through D&D. And then eventually I did another workshop where it was just pure D&D. And then, you know, a year later, invited back as an author, Chris was invited back as well. And then we hit it off and the rest is sort of history because, you know, now I'm in Seattle. Uh, I moved from Halifax to Seattle. We're married. We have a toddler. <laughs> yeah. So what a great story, you know, uh, bringing people together. I, I love it every time I hear it. So uh, you talked a little bit about your first experience running a game and it was for family and friends. Tell us a little bit about how that went. You said it was the, was it the starter kit or the essentials kit? And did you like have to build the characters with them or, you know, just tell us a little bit about how that first experience went. It was the starter kit. So the uh, Lost Mine of Phandalin or, or Phandelver. It was when 5e just came out. We decided we were just going to use the pre-generated characters and just they could rename them to whatever. I think everybody had fun, but we were still sort uh-huh. of like trying to figure out what the rules were because I only had that one hour and 30 minute session. <laughs> yeah. Good on you though. Uh, a lot of people take a lot longer than that to decide to dip their toes in. So very brave. I think that speaks to how engaging and how fun D&D can be that I really didn't want to, to sort of just let it go. Right. And yeah. so I, you know, I didn't think that there was anybody else that was going to do it. Sorry, my toddler. It's okay. I'm waiting for my son to scream any moment when he's getting put down for his nap. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, it sounds like it went really well then because you decided to keep doing it. And uh, did your family want to keep playing too? We played for several more months. It was really fun. Even though we, we weren't really sure about the rules, we just sort of like made it up as we went along, looked up the rules when we could. And just went with it. And I think that has probably influenced my my style of DMing a lot, simply because it's sort of like, don't worry about the rules so much. They are there. But if you make a call, then that becomes your house rule, right? And, you know, I just continue to learn along the way and read more and more and listen more and more uh, to different podcasts and, and the way that D&D is played at other tables. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. And that's part of the reason why I started the show was because I was listening to so many different actual plays. And I was like, I really just want to pick the brains of these DMs and figure out why they're doing this and that. And, and you know, is this intentional? And and so uh, it's been a lot of fun to do that. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's you you pick up so many things and you learn so many things from listening and watching other people do it. Uh, all right. So the question I love asking everybody is about the mistakes you feel like you have made that people can learn from. So uh, you know, and that's kind of the point of the show, right? How not to DM. So what are some of the biggest ways or the small ways that you feel like you have learned how not to run games? One of the things counter to what I said was that sometimes the rules do matter and it mm-hmm. you shouldn't feel like you can't stop the game to look up a rule if it really matters. I feel like sometimes it's like, all right, we're just going to fake it and it doesn't really make any sense in that moment just because you're stressed that you as a DM are supposed to know everything. Early on, I think it's more important that you actually look up the rule. If it's not going to spoil the fun. And then other times you just wing it. But if it's really important, I think you do early on should look it up. I think some of the bigger earlier mistakes that I made were, you know, taking away player agency, where 
they roll poorly and then you tell them it's not the situation that's happening to them it's what they do like don't narrate what the character is doing you can narrate the situation around the character but i feel like if you narrate what the character is doing you're taking away their agency so give them the opportunity to tell you how they failed i like that yeah, it can be easy to slip into, especially when you're new, and especially if the first thing you're running is a published adventure, right, to kind of feel the need to shepherd them in a specific direction. But I think that D20 Dames is a fabulous example of taking pre-written stuff and then totally flipping it on its head. Just light spoilers for the first few episodes. Uh, the, the Dames start off going to the town of Phandalin after whatever adventuring party uh, has yeah. come through and already completed the Lost Mind of Phandelver adventure. So yes. that was pretty fun. <laughs> you know, the tavern has kind of like had to rebrand because the red brands are gone. And anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great example of like, yeah, just giving them the freedom to explore. And, and they definitely do that. You know, they take their downtime and they kind of wander around, make new friends. But yeah, great example of that in your actual show that you've made. The opposite side of this is the really good moments that you feel like people could learn from. So what are some of your favorite moments from behind the screen? And they could be things that you specifically engineered or things that happened in spite of your plans that are really fun and memorable that might be fun to hear about. Early on in D20 Dames, we're still sort of like feeling what the podcast was all about. So we've got like these little prequel episodes that sort of showcase that, you know, the, the audio quality isn't so great. Uh, we're still trying to like roll with the very, very poor rolls um, and sort of like role play <laughs> around that. That highlighted, you know, like learning on the spot. But I think with the first like actual three episodes that we did, The Trouble at Chassandar Manor, that was my first go at writing original content. And it, like you say, you know, it takes place in Vandalin. After the Red Brands have been run out of Tresendor Manor, everybody thinks it's abandoned, but it's not. And I think some of the funny things that happened out of that was, because I was still a new um, DM, I hadn't experienced the over-planning for one thing and then not planning at all for another thing. And one <laughs> of the things was I named every single one of the kobolds that they were going to face. I had a staff room with lockers with all of their names on it. Yeah. They never went into that room. However, the gnomes that they were there to save, they asked every single name. So yeah. as we were going through it, I was like, okay, the first name that came to mind was, I sort of like based it off of a friend in the moment, and his name is Dave. And so I was like, Daver, okay. And then they asked the next one, and I was like, uh, Traver? <laughs> <laughs> and as we were going and going, I knew that it was going to end with them asking what the last name was. So I got a couple more rhyming ones. And then there was one that didn't rhyme with anything. And they were just stumped on that one. And I fantasy Rickrolled them because the last <laughs> brother's name was Rickroll. <laughs> that was a really fun moment and a learning moment, too, because I, you know, like I said, I didn't really expect that that naming thing was going to happen. And of course, like now I know in retrospect, like, you know, that happens to every DM. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you did quite well. You fleshed out the Gnome Brothers. They had their industry and everything. So you did good on the fly. Definitely. Well, they gave so much, too. They had all those bread puns. So obviously, there needed to be a bakery that came out of that. Yep. It was just a lot of fun playing with them. And, you know, behind the scenes, I think there is a lot of collaboration. When Jess came on board... They had some ideas about their backstory and, you know, a lot of season, I think two going into three, 
was spent um, at the House of She Who Shapes All, which is like this monastery where she grew up. And it was just a lot of fun collaborating on, you know, all the monks that are there and all that history. And then with um, Jen's character, Riot, you know, we did some behind the scenes recording so that we could get memories with her siblings because she's been separated from them. And then with Maris, who plays Rose, she got really busy. So uh, she had to leave, but we still had her on the show so that we could finish up her storyline. And so we we did a lot of one-on-one recordings with uh, Rose and the Shadowfell. I've just really enjoyed the like the like that collaborative nature of D&D. You highlighted something that I really have learned and found is, is fun and effective is uh, letting your players help world build with you and, and guide the story uh, instead of being set on the, the things that you want to do and, and that you want them to experience, figure out what they want to do and then help them make it possible. Yeah. One of the first things I did before we even started recording was I, I got them to fill out a questionnaire. So they all filled out the same questionnaire. Um, it was like all of their history, all of their like relationships. I got them all to write about a hero that they looked up to so that I could weave that into the story and connect the, the stories together. And that had a huge impact on where everything went. Great ideas. And honestly, as a DM, like what's better than your players giving you ideas, you know, instead of mm-hmm. you having to figure it all out yourself, it's way better yeah. that way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. In learning to run games, is there anyone in particular that you really look up to or that um, you feel like you tried to emulate as you were kind of learning to run games? And even now, are there people that you really look to as examples of uh, really great DMs? I think early on when we started the podcast, it was, Griff McElroy um, uh-huh. from the Adventure Zone. I really enjoyed how he could have this really great narrative streak and serious like gravitas to what he's telling, but also be very goofy. And I think naturally that is where I sit as a DM. Mischief, but also that storyteller element versus, you know, people who are a little bit more animated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So early on, it was it was definitely that inspiration. And then from there, you know, um, I was on Tales from the Mists when it was on. Um, and TK Johnson has this really, it's like this very soft way of telling a story. But at the same time, you are just deeply hooked into what they're saying. I've definitely taken away a lot from that experience. And there are lots of DMs that I look up to, but I know that I'm not I'm not that kind of DM, right? You look at DMs like Kate Welch or Deborah Ann Waller. They're very animated. On the one hand, I would love to be like that as a theater kid at one point. But I know (laughs) that my happy place is on the side of like a Griff McElroy where it's, you know, storyteller, but comedic at times, serious and and comedic at the same time. Um, I feel like that's my that's my happy place as a DM. I like doing the voices as well. But you know, Matt Mercer is a really great example of a, of a great DM, but, you know, he's also a professional voice actor. That's not going to be me. I'm sure the YouTube video exists of, like, him doing, like, every single accent, like, back to back to back to back to back, yeah. if you were to look for it. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not a great comparison, right? You know, unless you're a <laughs> professional voice actor as well. Try yeah. not to try to stack yourself up against him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now a word from How Not to DM's sponsors. Let's start off with Gemmed Firefly. Need a fresh look for the new year? Head on over to GemmedFirefly.com for the newest teas, mugs, 
and home goods styled with D&D gamer humor and aesthetics. As always, Gemmed Firefly makes every shirt to order, bringing you all of the softest and most comfortable shirts that thousands have come to love. Listeners of the show get a discount when you use the code DRAGON at checkout. Find your new favorite shirt at gemmedfirefly.com now. And also, Mannerism RPG. Mannerism is a diceless game about becoming a wizard to escape oppression. It uses an approach-based resolution system. The GM thinks up a failure complication, and the players choose the character's manner through their description. The interaction, as well as the character's stats, determine the degree of success. Players control how their character advances through play, unlocking magic and mastering it on a scale that threatens the establishment's fearful sorcerers. Find it on DriveThruRPG. As always, sponsor links are in the episode notes, so go check those out. And now, let's get back to the show with this week's Quickfire Chaos. This week on Quickfire Chaos, Kat and I are going to use some random D100 tables to create an on-the-spot roleplay scenario. Alright, let's do uh, this mini-game. So all I need from you is four D100 rolls. You're going to be playing an NPC, and these rolls are going to determine what the NPC is like, and then what quest that you're going to send me on. So I'm going to approach you, you're going to just roleplay this person for like two minutes, and I'm going to ask you like what you want me to do. You kind of just got to make up like why you need this thing done and then that's it i'm not gonna make you pick an accent there's like a voice table but it's just like kind of how they sound not their accent necessarily so you can fill that in if you want all right so yeah we'll start there uh voice description 50 speaks almost entirely without moving their jaw oh my god (laughs) the next one is personality trait when you're ready a one Absent-minded, preoccupied to the extent of being unaware of one's immediate surroundings. So you don't move your jaw, you're a little absent-minded. <laughs> okay. Next is what your uh, job is. 84. Botanist. And then last but not least, the quest you're going to send us on. Eight. You hear screaming at odd hours in the morning. <laughs> okay. So you're trying to figure out, or are you going to send us to investigate, I guess? All right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to approach you as an adventurer, and then um, you're going to tell us who you are and why you want us to go investigate this stuff. You ready to go? Yep. (laughs) Okay, let's do this. So uh, I think I'll play a cleric. He's going to have my very best terrible Australian accent. All right, here we go. (laughs) Hello, good morning. I, I heard that you had a, a job that needs doing, and uh, I think we're the people that do it. Hi there, love. How's it going? Oh yeah, it's great, yeah. You've been having some trouble though, have you? Have I? Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. <laughs> with the, uh, with the garden, is it? No, 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 no. I remember. So, I was out gardening, and, uh, every morning for ten days now, there's oh. been really screeching. Oh, yeah. 
like loud noises? Are they coming from your garden or elsewhere outside? What did you want to see my garden? Well, yeah, sure. We we could walk around while and you show me about while we're talking. All right. Well, here are the petunias and here are yeah, the very uh, nice, yeah, buckleberry and lovely colours. Yeah. Did you were you here to to buy a pint of berries? I mean, sure, yeah, we could negotiate that. But you, you're talking about screaming that you've heard outside at uh, odd hours in the morning. Oh, who told you that? Uh, well, uh, you did. Sorry, yeah, you, you told me about some screaming. Oh, yes, yes, I did. Yeah, screaming all hours at the at the morning, evening, night. Mm. I think I'm not getting very much sleep. I was about to say, have you not been sleeping much? <laughs> Do you have any idea about where the screaming's coming from? And also, do you have any idea what screaming like? Does it sound like a person? Does it sound like a beast? You know? Oh, did you want to come see my my uh, my goats? You looking uh, for beasts? No, I, I'm just asking uh, where the screaming's coming from and if you know what it sounds like. But well, sure, goats, we can go yeah, see the goats. Scream. The goats the goat scream. scream? Mm. Yeah, I think I've heard about these screaming goats before. <laughs> are they the ones that are keeping you up? What? How do you know that I'm up all night? Uh, you, you were mentioning that you've been hearing some screaming. Do you know where it's coming from? I, I'm here to help out with that. Oh, okay. Did the goats send you? Uh, no, no, the goats didn't send me. I saw you posting on the board in, inside town and uh, you, you're looking for some help. So just hear about um, that. Yes, I did. Yes, there's screaming. think it's somewhere on my property. Right. Okay. So, may I propose this then? Maybe I roll my bedroll down, I lay down here tonight, and then if I hear anything, I'll wake up and I'll try to deal with it, and you can get some shut-eye. Does that sound all right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you're wanting to... You know, it's not a bed and breakfast here. Right. You might want to get back to the tavern. I mean, did, I did could you need do directions? That. I don't need directions. No, I could go to the tavern, but then I can't hear the screaming. Probably, right? Who told you about the screaming? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you've uh, you mentioned you've got some berries for sale, yeah? Ah, oh, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, let's make a trade. I figure out what the screaming is coming from, and you give us some berries for the road. Oh, yes. Does that sound like a fair trade? That sounds fine. All right. Don't you worry about how I'm doing it or where I'm going to be going. I'll figure it out, and then I'll come back to you when I've figured out what the screaming is, all right? All right. Done. Done and dusted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was going to end it with, who told you about the screaming? <laughs> <laughs> who told you about the screaming, love? Yeah. Oh, man. Well done. <laughs> Oh, I've had a few people roll stuff like this where it's just like they can't focus, and so it's it's very fun to like to try to role play and get like out what you're trying to get us to do. <laughs> I love it. I imagine this adventurer gets hit on the head in the middle of the night because this NPC is like, "What is this person trespasser?" <laughs> I found him on my property in the garden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the local guards probably know too. They're like, "Oh yeah, it's just the bodies to get." <laughs> oh man, did she tell you about the screaming? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we've mentioned it a couple times. D twenty dames, your podcast. I'd love to hear about where the idea came from for the show, 
how it started amongst all of you and how it is going so far. Jen Vaughn and I became friends around the time when I moved to Seattle and we started an at-home D&D game. At that time, The Adventure Zone was uh, sort of like at its height. We both really enjoyed that show a lot. And we thought, you know, listening to other podcasts, we didn't hear anything at the time that represented, you know, a lot of femme or people of color on mm-hmm. podcasts. There was a lot of the same makeup in podcasts. And so we decided that we would give it a shot. And so we approached uh, a few people that we knew, sat down, had a conversation over supper. We all agreed that it was something that we wanted to do. Funnily enough, we originally wanted it to be more like the comic Rat Queens, where it's a really rough group of women who defy convention and swear a lot. (laughs) But when we got down to actually planning the podcast, we talked about the very simple thing of, do we want the explicit tag on our iTunes? And we decided no. And that one decision completely, you know, we did a 180 on what the story was going to be. And it became way more family friendly than the original idea. And that also really put us in a unique position in the market because I feel like there also aren't a lot of kid-friendly, family-friendly shows. So we really leaned more into that as the seasons progressed. We just finished our first campaign after four years back in December. And we sort of took a little bit of a break because life stuff is, you know, everybody's lives are a little bit hectic. Yes. But we have just started planning. Promos are scheduled to go out imminently, possibly this week for the next campaign. Oh, so by the time this comes out, there should be some information about it. Excellent. Yes. So we have some teasers coming out. So I can't really say exactly what it is yet, but I can say that it is going to be even more kid-friendly than the previous campaign. We found something really unique, and we found something that we really enjoy doing, and that is creating content that families can listen to without Mm -hmm. worrying about all the things that you might worry about from all the other podcasts. (laughs) Yes, yes. The adult ones far outweigh the kid-friendly ones. Like, I can probably name a dozen or so that I know are specifically like supposed to be family friendly. And then the rest, you know, are, are just whatever. So yeah, and it was kind of the same thought process for me when I started this show. I was like, do I want to make it family friendly or not? And I was like, yeah, you know what? I think it would be worth it just because that means there's extra time people have to listen where they're not worried about what uh, their kids are hearing. So exactly. It was a big motivator for me too. Cool. I'm excited to see what you have cooking. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm really, really excited. It is going to be the first time that it's our own world to play in. We're building it from the bottom up. And I think it's really have the same elements that were there before. There's going to be serious moments, story-driven, character-driven, lots of monsters, but not necessarily ones that you have to fight with. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, the conflict isn't going to necessarily involve fighting. I think there will still be fighting because that's part of tabletop role-playing games generally speaking there's some fighting involved but i think it's mostly going to be more exploration role play and that sort of thing fun Uh, are you using 5e as the system are you doing something else i think it'll depend when it actually comes out because we are planning on um doing a little bit more teaching as we're going along Mm. yeah that'll be fun yeah i'm excited yeah i learned this 
maybe between the time I asked you to come on the show and now. So this is something really cool. I don't know if this was only North America, but anyone who was paying attention saw nerd clusters popping up <laughs> candies, basically like uh, licorice bits with like nerds mm-hmm. encrusting them. They are delicious. And I remember my sister-in-law like sending me a picture on her phone. She's like, hey, check it out. These are D&D themed. Uh, she is playing with me like once, but she knew that I was into it. And she's like, check this out. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, and I found out that you are the one who wrote all of the adventures for the nerd clusters, yes. one themed for each of the different colors. So I'd love to hear about like the collaboration, the experience, and what mm-hmm. it was like to write adventures that you knew were going to be for younger slash brand new people playing the game. It was such a fun collaboration. I was so excited when I was approached to, to write it. I think because D20 Dames has done a lot in the D&D kid-friendly environment, that it was a really good fit. I also happened to just really love Nerds Candy. <laughs> like too. It was my favorite candy growing up. When I was asked, I was just like, are you kidding me? Yes, of course I'm going to write these. But writing them was a ton of fun. The process was really great. Shelly Mazanoble, who was the one who approached me from Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, yeah, she's awesome. Worked with her before on Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. And I had a lot of creative license, I guess. The two brands really mesh very well together because a lot of the spirit of both D&D and nerds is, you know, adventuring together. And that was basically the premise for this campaign. And each of the nerds already had their own, I guess, overarching theme. So like curiosity and deep thinking and things like that. And I had no idea. Yeah, I know. I didn't either. It was very deep. And they already had decided which colors were going to be which class. So that helped me a lot oh, as well. Oh, they did? And then, okay. Yeah. And I got to preview the art, which was really cute. And then it was just sort of like, okay, so these are the themes. These are the colors and their classes. Come up with what you want. So I came up with the mini adventures, the six mini adventures, and then the seventh like group adventure. And yeah, definitely drew a lot of inspiration from working with youth and kids and Uh new learners to create these mini adventures that maybe aren't necessarily typical D&D adventures because there's a lot more role play exploration. While there is some combat, it's not heavily focused on that. There's a lot of opportunity to resolve a lot of the conflict without fights. I think uh-huh. the fighter was the main one that you had to basically fight, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Did you kind of think of a bunch of ideas and workshop them with wizards and nerds to kind of nail down the ones that seemed the most interesting? Or the first idea was good and, and you kind of ran with it? I worked with uh, Adam Lee on the project. So I did the initial writing for the ideas and he sort of developed the ideas. But I think from the original ideas to the ending, there's definitely still the original ideas is there. So he just sort of helped put a shine on it. <laughs> yeah. Polish. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like that. You also mentioned at the beginning, um, your career has been writing and you wrote young adult um, novels and done lots of work. And then you transitioned into the game design world. So I wanted to know what the differences were that you've noticed between the two. And obviously there are some like, you know, really obvious ones like, you know, one is a game and the other is writing a book. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if there are some kind of nuanced differences that you notice between the process of like 
thinking up all these characters and plots and stuff and putting it into a book versus doing the same thing, but trying to make it flexible enough to make it a game that people run. So I think the main difference is like a novel is very linear, clearly, and a game like a D&D game is, is not. And I think what I learned from my background is it's more in the vein of, you know, a choose your own adventure or interactive text adventure, which mm. I used to write when I was little. So I like I sort of drew from that when I started game dev. I think the key difference is that it's not that linear. You have to sort of plan for different ways that people play the game and mm. different outcomes to each situation. I wouldn't say that I provide all the answers. Like there's optimal solutions, but there's also like secondary solutions to problems that I like to present in the adventures that I write. Yeah. That's something I guess that I hadn't thought about in that way until you just mentioned it. Uh, a lot of the stuff that I do is prep for my own game. And I know generally what my players are interested in and what they might be motivated by, but having to write things from a high enough level that most parties, you know, most players and most DMs can like get yes. something out of it is a very different thing. Wow. <laughs> Never thought about it that way. Trying not to railroad it either. So like, what if this happens, then do you have a side option for that? Do you feel like some skills from writing books and that kind of thing translated really well to writing adventures and then some skills uh, you had to pick up? I think for box text, fantastic for transferable skills, not so much for the mechanics. I think the mm -hmm. mechanics are more, like I've said before, it's, it's sort of like writing a technical manual for having fun. It's very mechanics heavy. You know, you've got all these instructions for the DM to do this check or that check or this happens mechanically. And then also deciding when it is important to put those checks in there, because if you need the characters to pass a check in order for the story to progress, maybe don't put that check in there. <laughs> yes. A lesson I've learned a few times where I'm like, oh, why yeah. did I have them do this if they can't get any further? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. I think a lot of the narrative writing is less important when it comes to writing D&D because the box text is so limited. And I think what really helped me write games is my journalistic experience because being very concise with your writing and to the point is way more important than being flowery. Yeah, that is a big difference. You have a new book that is available for pre-order right now. It's coming out in August of this year called Dungeons and Dragons, How to Be More D&D. And from the synopsis on the front uh, and from the little bits of text I've read here and there, it sounds like you're trying to, well, you, you've written a book that helps people use their knowledge of D&D &D as a framework for attacking life problems. So yeah, tell us a little <laughs> bit more about the book and what people can expect. You've recapped it very well. That's it. So, okay. <laughs> I think um, the goal in the book when I was writing it with my publisher was definitely target is people who understand D&D &D and applying it to your life. But I think it's also people who sort of know D&D, &D, but haven't necessarily played it. And this is another way of approaching it. It's sort of like, you know, understanding like the randomness of life and how that relates to dice rolls and things like that. There's some interactive features in the book that have random tables that you roll on, an actual character character sheet that you fill out. 
So there's many chapters that talk about how to approach adventuring, what the classes are that relate to actual real life and how you approach real life. There are sections on, you know, DMing your life. Definitely a bit of humor in it too, because that's just the way I write. I try to approach things with a little bit of laughter and humor, but I think there's also some serious things that you can take away from it that maybe you can approach your life with that sense of more adventure through D&D while also having fun, I guess is mainly what this book is all about. Cool. Does it have journaling parts of it too with the random tables and the character sheet and that? Is it kind of like meant to have self-reflection as part of it? Yeah. There are some elements of that. There's a random table, there's a character sheet, there's a, a little example of like how you track your life XP and your milestones and, you know, setting goals for yourself and sort of gamifying your life a little bit. (laughs) I got to have some fun writing from the perspective of the characters from the cartoon. And there's a advice column from Tasha. Oh yeah. Nice. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm excited to see, um, or read that when it comes out too. Excellent. So if you had to give, advice to people who are out there running games um what are kind of the maybe one or two best pieces of advice you've either been given or that you've kind of developed yourself that you could give to people out there to encourage them and to make them better at running games i think when you're starting out it's better to be a little bit over prepared i think i needed that as a bit of a crutch at the beginning mm. but the more you practice the less you're going to need to prep I think also sweating all the little details is not really important. I think the people at the table are just going to experience what's in front of them and not you know, necessarily everything that's running through your head. So you don't need to constantly be one step ahead of your players. Just sort of roll with what's happening in front of you. I think that's the most important thing. And if you can let go a little and improv or ad lib... I think that really helps. And I know that is so difficult at the start. I still remember being really like over-concerned about following what was in the written material. And if it deviated too far, it was like, okay, what am I doing wrong, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) So I think it's just like your players are going to have fun. They're going to be forgiving if you made a huge mistake. Rewind. It's just a game. Have fun. Agreed. I love the be in the moment part. That's something that I definitely struggled with, but I'm getting better at, you know, being in the moment instead of trying to think ahead, just worry about what's happening. Very good advice. And you made me think about things that I haven't thought about before. So that's the whole point of this. Excellent. You mentioned you've got a new season of D20 Dames coming up and we talked about your book as well. Uh, Any other projects you've got working on that you can tell us about? And then where can people find your work online? Yeah, so D20 Dames, you can find at d20dames.com. Our new season should be coming out, um, I think it's end of May, beginning of June. Oh, so very Um, soon, So look for that. Yeah. And let's see. I am currently working on Divinity Original Sin, the board game. That's my big project right now. One of the board games that just came out is Betrayal at House on the Hill. Third edition just came out in Europe, and it's coming out in North America in the fall. Those are the two big board games that 
are coming out right now. That's basically all I can talk about. But if people want to follow me, they can go to steampunkunicornstudio.com. That's where I do all my freelance work. Pretty much anything that you want to see from me, books, games, they're all listed on that site. And um, yeah. Yeah. I'll include those links. I'll include the links to your DMs Guild stuff. Um, a lot of the stuff you wrote for D20 Dames ended up being adventures that you've published so that other people can play. Yeah. So I'll include all that. And if you haven't oh. seen an announcement about the new season yet, it probably is coming very soon. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Kat. It's been a lot of fun. It's always good to laugh and have a good time and also talk about something that we love together. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you for listening to How Not to DM. And now a sneak peek into next week's guest, Sarah Thompson, creator of the Combat Wheelchair for 5e. In a FFG Star Wars game that I ran, I had it set during the Clone Wars, and the rule was nobody could play a full sensitive. Everyone was playing a clone from a regiment, and they went and like had all these bombs with the young Padawan of like their Jedi general. I knew it. I knew you were gonna do Order 66. (laughs) And like, everyone's faces like, dropped. (laughs) They were like, no! They got this Padawan child with them. This Padawan child that had lost their lightsaber literally the session before. And they were like, oh no! Like, everyone was screaming. It was so (laughs) funny. And then I was like, okay, make rolls to resist your, your chip, your inhibitor chips. And everyone was like, oh my god. For more awesome stories from Sarah's games, a look into their career as a game designer and consultant, and more, tune in next week. Remember to check out my Patreon if you haven't already for even more sneak peeks. Next time you get the chance, share this episode with your friends and family around your game table. Another great way to help me boost the show is by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by rating the show on Spotify. I appreciate all of you for helping me grow. Thanks to the team at T4C Studios for helping edit and produce this episode. My new intro and outro music is by Daniel Zombo. The Quickfire Chaos music is by Exacat, and the Quickfire Chaos mood music is by Arcane Animals. Check out the episode notes for more of their great work. And, as always, until next time, roll some nat 20s for me.